Dear friend, let's discover more of who we are together. Love, Haley and Amanda. Hi, dear friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're so excited about our interview today. We have a woman of many accolades, but also just a vivacious spirit. We heard about her. She's a neighborhood treasure where we live. We heard about her through our friend, Cindy, um, who was like, you got, you girls have got to meet this woman. Mm-hmm. She's so incredible. Uh, she's had amazing accomplishments, but also just her perspective on life is really beautiful. And so we went and had lunch with her mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago and we're just like blown away by her life experiences. And there's just something about the wisdom of an older person who has really been through a lot of things in life that will give you great perspective. Yeah, she is. She doesn't mind us sharing that she is 88 and she just still had an art show um, last year. Yeah. In May. In May. Yeah. So someone that still just has such a vivacious, curious spirit, but her story, you guys, you're just not going to believe it. She dives into some super interesting details where she was born, how she's moved around the world. Um, and she's a hundred percent by nature, a creator. She, um, like her kind of like to give you, she's going to get into her story and the interview, but some really interesting things was like, she was a toy designer for, um, possum trot was, which was this company that she would traveled all over the United States for like, um, toy sales mm-hmm. um, and they would sell the, these toys in um like Neiman Marcus and like so she's a creator but then she's also an artist and sculptor and she's had she's had shows in like the most famous gallery was called Cordier and Ekstrom and it's on Madison Avenue and it showed people like um Marcel Duchamp and stuff like these which, are which un- I don't know who that is but Haley throws up about it she can't it's believe it so prestigious it's such a big deal and she did it for these sculptures but she has done so much stuff she and her her art is incredible she also was a stage designer um so for the new york theater ballet she did all of these sets that she gets into um in the interview she's just a she's accomplished amazing things but her spirit and her attitude are really even more astounding than her accomplishments. So we were really excited to get her on the podcast and share her with you today. And we hope you enjoy it. You Today we have Jillian Bradshaw-Smith and we hope you love her. How are you doing today? Excellent, thank you. Looking you look, forward to you guys. You look beautiful. Thank you. You know, it was it was our dear friend um, Cindy McCord that was singing your praises to us, which is why we've had the pleasure of even meeting and knowing you. That was so sweet of her to introduce us. But I do have to say, whenever someone mentions your list of accomplishments, it's pretty awe-striking and makes it made us go, we've got to meet this woman. <laughs> we usually um, ask the people that we interviewed to give us a short um, overview of their story, but I know that yours is 
so interesting at every point and every turn that I don't know how you're going to tell it to us in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can, um, must say I've really enjoyed my life up to date. um, It started off in India um, when I was um, born to a military family. And, uh, of course, a part of the Raj when British were in charge of India. um, And um, so playing with mud pies and... um, hearing about my uncle's elephant where my mother and father went on their honeymoon shooting tigers in the jungle, which is too horrible to think about. We did have that that tiger on uh, our floor with his mouth open. Oh, my goodness. The the rug, you know, the tiger rug that they... So this was at like the foothills of the Himalayas, correct? Well, well that that was where I was born. Yes. Okay. The foothills of the Himalayas. I'm not sure where which jungle they went shooting in when they were um, newlyweds, but um, what did yeah, you my, think about growing up in that atmosphere? Was it beautiful? Did you know how beautiful it was then? Well, you know, when you were a child. You don't know anything else, so you don't really know that it's unusual compared to other English children, you know. It's just um, where you are. So um, we used to, like, my my first memories are, I guess, when I was around four in what was the, it, well, and it still is, the Indian Army headquarters in a place called Pune. And... Um, so we had a bungalow there, and we would sometimes sleep out when it was very hot um, under the stars. And uh, but we'd have canopies like mosquito nets over the bed, so they were like shrouded. Uh, and my brother and I'd crawl up and down, growling like lions, and <laughs> and we just loved that. <laughs> And Did you brought, hear wild animals at, at no, night? No, not really. Um, I don't know. I don't remember really hearing because it was in a town. Mm. Um, it was a race course my mother liked. So we'd go to the races and we all had horses, like uh, we had ponies. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so eventually um, we were. my father was posted to the back to what's now Pakistan. <clears throat> that was um, before the partition, when British left India. Hmm. There was a big fight like um, between the North and the, well, India and what was Pakistan mostly. And, and, and so eventually they were separated into two different countries. And, hmm. and, and although they, it was all part of India when we were there, it was, um, we would go up into the hills in the, sum, in the winter and in the summer to keep cool because it was very hot in the plains. And then, and we could, we were even in a place where you could see Mount Everest. Wow. Um, we went oh to a certain point. And, um, and you must count that some sort of blessing as a yeah, child. 
Oh, yes. And then I remember, because by then I was probably about mm, seven or eight. And um, I remember, you know, cycling to dancing classes and um, and uh, climbing over the, because our house there was next to the race course and like climbing up into the judges stand on the corner and watching the races from there, mm. that kind of thing, you know, as a kid. But then, you know, then the war came and my father actually had a, uh, was on a, he, 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 he was a big man. He was like six foot four and, um, but he died of a heart attack just towards the beginning of the war. No. And um, so we were all shipped down to the very south of India. And how old were you when you were? I was um, eight then. And, and it took five days in a train. That was <sighs> quite an experience, I remember. Um, and then eventually we arrived down in this um, beautiful area where they had like um, jungles, but top kind of not really, it was called the Shola. It was like you'd get up to a point and you'd look out and it's as if you were looking at the ocean. You All you could see was the tops of trees for as far as you could look to the horizon, just like this. Um, and then you'd go into it through a path and. And it was, and the, as the trees closed over your head, there would be this tremendous hush that wow. would come, up and and you, and it would be like bracken under the trees, and um, it was it was quite beautiful and mysterious. Mm, and sure. there was tea plantations, and I would go to dancing classes, ballet, and there was a. a you know, the women, it was mostly women who'd been what were called war widows. Their husbands were in the war fighting somewhere and all real widows like my mother who were kind of shuffled off to this like wayward,er but very beautiful to kind of wait until they could get passages back to England, mm. which eventually we did. And then I, uh, when when I got we got back to England, but we we were in a convoy that was we were um, the f first no the second convoy to go through the Suez Canal. Wow! Because the fighting in North Africa had been the Germans had been beaten, and and the Suez Canal was opened again. So we were able to it took us a month to get through that passage that, um, and, and then we, um, um, my mother got sick on the ship. So we were, she was in the ship's hospital for the most of the voyage. My brother and I had free reign to run around <laughs> and play and do whatever we wanted. So it sounds like it was awful, but actually um, <laughs> it was kind of fun. <laughs> um, a whole month on a ship. A troop, yeah, it was a troop ship. It had been. I was just looking up online. It was, it was converted from a passenger liner to a troop ship, and they cut out all the insides and made hammocks. And so when you went down into the belly of the ship, it were just just rows and rows of hammocks. Um, 
Wow. They were transporting troops back to England and and the convoy was spread around. Um, you know, you could see aircraft carriers and did you did you meet yeah. anyone very interesting on the ship? Um, not really. Um, no, not that I. It, I just don't remember um, meeting yeah. anyone except the young officer who was designated to return us to our aunt, take us once we reached because we came into Glasgow. Um, at the around the north of Ireland, I'd never seen anything so green in my life as seeing uh, mm-hmm. the north of Ireland, mm-hmm. the grass, because India was is kind of more like deserty, um, and well, not everywhere, obviously, but but that green was like astonishing to mm, me I bet. as a child, and so we, my mother had been taken off the ship in a stretcher and put on a little launch and taken off to the hospital. And so we were taken off the ship first. And this young officer took us by train to our aunt's house, and um, which was in near um, Wales, uh, in the English countryside, in the, mm. right in the countryside, in an old like 16th century farmhouse. With timber beams and stables, and that sounds very dreamy. Yeah, feels going down to the River Dee, which is in <laughs> a, a big poem, a um, famous poem. About the, and when you when you arrived there, you were about nine years old. Eleven. Then I was 11. eleven. And so, just in these first eleven years of your life. All of this has happened. Yeah, and a lot more I haven't told you about because it, but yeah. And so it was pretty amazing because you come back, England had been bombed horribly. And this was in 1944 when we, we sailed from Bombay on D Day. So the invasion of Europe had happened and was going on at that time. And so. Um, I think the bombing, the German bombing of the Lon- of London and the various cities. I don't think I think it was only occasionally because they had by then the rocket bombs or the V twos that were unmanned. Um, but we didn't get any of that because we were. But we did get a lot of rationing, you know, yeah. like uh, one egg a week and. Uh, <laughs> Quarter of a pound of butter for a week, uh, you know, very uh, sparse. But we were in the country, so we could like we could get milk and eggs, but that right. but sugar was very scarce. Flour, you know, it was it was difficult. Uh, but I was sent that September to boarding school for, and I had not really been to school in India. There was little schools organized by various mothers, but I'd only been to one professional school for about a year in, in that whole time. And um, boarding school, I was kind of a freak. <laughs> what made you a freak? Well, it was partly because- The purple I, hair? I, I wouldn't, well, the purple hair, I, <laughs> I acquired that later. <laughs> 
<laughs> Suddenly grew out purple. I was just. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, my uh, you know, it was the culture. Like the children that were there, it was all girls, you know, because in England, boys and girls are separated, and so just girls and. And they thought I was Chinese for some reason. Mm. No. <laughs> so I, I, you know, and the thing that made it difficult was I was two years older because I was so behind in my um, studies that I was two years behind the other children. So I felt like this, you know, although I wasn't a very large child, I felt like a lump. You know, on a log, um, yeah. but I know you know it was hard to feel part of the the kind of culture, you know. But it how did that? <clears throat> how did that impact you? How did you react, and what did it make you grow I, into? I think it made me very obedient, very good. Hmm. You know, like sort of um, a docile child, you know. Um, and um, trying to stay because you wanted way. to fit in. Yeah, well, I wanted to fit in, but I didn't want to kind of. Although I did like performing, so there were the one thing about the this school. It was you know the school was quite tiny, and I think maybe there were I don't know how many children, maybe sixty or you know the, it was a very small girls boarding school. You know, in this very, like a mansion that would have been converted into a school, mm -hmm. full setting in the Welsh hills near a fairly famous Welsh town called Llanticilio. And um, they'd have like what were called a Stedefords there, which were ancient, going back to the sort of Welsh bards where they'd have a big gathering. And the Welsh bards would quote, like, perform their poems and sing. And, and the Welsh loved to sing. So these gatherings were like a gigantic tent, a huge tent. And then there'd be choruses and, and recitations. And I would be doing elocution, I would make, re recite poems. Mm. And other children, from other you know but it was like a big thing that yeah. must have that seems very brave of you if you were feeling like an outsider and wanting to you know be obedient yeah. and and then you were this performer also yeah, I also like to so duality I like to dance I you know and I, they would all they, you know we'd have dance a lot of dance and they would even for instance they allowed me to choreograph a whole ballet that was performed, mm. and they had a, a top orchestra come. And, um, we'll get back to this, but to Mozart, to Mozart, Heinekelin and Nacht music, and uh, you know, so you know, I, I certainly like to perform. <laughs> we can get back to that, but was that could have been foreshadowing to something that yeah. happened later on, yeah. huh? Right, because I had to choose between art and dance when it came to a career. 
you know, or uh, what I wanted to do when I went to university, or um, and I got a, I got a position at one of the London theatre schools, and I got a position at Reading University, which is in the, near, not too far from London. Their art department. So I had to choose between theatre arts or um, fine art because I always loved making things as a child. Mm. I think I think artists always start as you know they're always making things or as children. So and before before we go on with your story, um, you know how we were talking with you about how we we really do think it's important for every person to feel like an outsider at some point in their life, because it's really good perspective. Um, do you feel like now when you are reflecting back that having that experience as feeling outside of maybe that, the out of place in that girl's school was a good thing for you? Oh yes, I think so. I mean, the thing is that one, one really can't regret one's life is one's life. Mm-hmm. You can't really regret the things that happen to you because they are what inform your. They, you know, you may at the moment, in the moment while you're living it, feel like, you know, hell, I just don't want to be here or what have you. But, um, and obviously there are some things one does regret, but for the most part, you know, it's your life and. You know, you have to build on it, and you know, it gives you perspective. It gives you um, a unique vision of the world. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I mean, I was just thinking how, like, how fortunate we are to be conscious, like these, like this bundle of. Um, uh, molecules that somehow is conscious, <laughs> and it, it's it is like life is like an astonishingly amazing thing, um, and the, the fact that we happen to be humans and can contemplate it as well as live it is something to be treasured. Um, that's my old age wisdom. I loved it. I'm going to I'm going to listen to that on repeat. <laughs> so tell us what did you pick? Did you pick Reading the Art and Yes, I picked okay. Reading. Cuz actually and I think it was a wise choice for me because I didn't really have the body of a dancer. You know, a little too short, a little too square, not um long legs, short little legs. Um you know and uh you said that you had were always making stuff as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was like the first thing you remember making as a kid? Um, I think I remember making um, with my brother. We would make. Um, we made we. We one of the places we lived. There was a a, a a bank near the driveway, and it was sort of mud, and we'd turn it into a village by building up roadways and mm. building little houses and using sticks for the rafters and piling mud on top, like little adobe. It was like a little adobe village. Yeah. 
we'd so we'd we'd you know we'd make things together. Um, we, I remember we also made a village out of cardboard and paper and, and stuff. My mom, and then I would make my dolls' clothes. Uh, so you were just always drawn to making. Making, yes, I like making things with my hands. Um, I'm wondering too if I mean because oh, because con- consider your um, childhood. So- so like free and being outdoors and it's really like space for your mind to wander and imagine you know and we we talk about how we would like to raise our kids not our kids but our separate kids (laughs) you know and that we feel like we want to somehow give them a and I know you were presented with a lot of challenges too but give them space for their minds to really wander because we were in you know we could we could go wander off even in England you know and because there when we first came back I lived with my cousins and some friends of six kids all together I was the eldest I think um uh, yeah and then there were two of my cousins and then two friends of theirs, and so there were three women and their six kids. Uh, and, um, we, you know, we would go off for a day, mm-hmm. wander around the countryside, you know, just we'd pick mushrooms. or And then in India, too, you know, we there we wouldn't really wander too far, but, but in one place we could wander um, in um, and go up onto what was called Plum Pudding Hill, and we'd make what we called flying dragons. We'd get a stone, sew it into a cloth pouch, make a tail with, like, kite tail tags on it, and then you'd go up to the top of the hill and you'd whirl it around your head and let it go, and it'd go, shh, shh. <laughs> Of course, it might hit somebody on the head, which wouldn't be too It looked bad. like you just did a magic trick and a cat appeared. <laughs> Yeah, she likes to come and join me um, and uh, cover up my, step on my keyboard and mess up my, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's Posy. Found her up in a tree when she was five inches long. My goodness. Anyway, yeah, so um, I loved loved art at school. It would let me do... um, They'd even let me cut classes and do art, you know, go and paint a painting somewhere. Um, So when I got to university, you know, that was my best time because there I did fit in. I had got friends. I I wasn't like um, this odd thing. Um, You found your people. I found my people, and 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 we and it was great. You know, we. So that was, and that was a six-year course. I did a year extra, which was a teaching diploma. So Mm -hmm. I'd have at least a a profession, you know, because being an artist is one thing that, um, anyway, I can have teaching um, creds. When you you graduated university, what did you do for work? I I taught, I taught art. Okay. Girls arts at a girls' school, um, and, but this was what a state school rather than a private school. 
Uh, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I did enjoy it. Um, you know, it wasn't what I actually... I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Of course, there were always difficult moments with kids, you know. Mm-hmm. But the kids mostly liked their art, doing mm-hmm. art. So, you know, I was um, I was not trying to force um, algebra down their <laughs> little throats. <laughs> so, how old were you when you when you came to America? I came to America when I was thirty years old. Um, my I had just gotten I, I just gotten this invitation from my uncle who lived in Dallas with his wife, my aunt, and they invited me to come for a year. And I, so I quit the teaching and I had to wait six months to get my visa from the American embassy and go through all that, my green card, you know, Mm -hmm. so I could teach, so I could get a job here if I needed, you know, and then I came and it was like, I flew, it was in January, it was like a snowy day in London, and I flew to America, which I hadn't really thought about that much before. <laughs> and, I, you know, it was amazing because when you were over the British um, Isles, the villages and towns that will look like squirrely, but when you fly over America, all the villages and towns are like grid format. Um, so I flew into Chicago. I was astonished to see a policeman with a gun on his hip. Like, hello. <laughs> in England, uh, police don't carry weapons. And um, so then I. Uh, flew, you know, caught another plane, flew to Dallas, and it was January. So, and my aunt and uncle, um, you know, they were going to be moving shortly to, to Memphis. And so I was going to be on my own. They introduced me to some friends, and so I got my start, and I had a little apartment, garage apartment. Oh, with Turtle Creek right at the foot mm. of the barn. It was, yeah, it was really nice. The building is now torn down. It was mm. it was a family that lived in this two, two or three-story wood building, just like, you know, the three-story buildings on Winnetka. And, mm. and when you arrived here, did you feel like that outsider again, or did you feel excited to explore this new world and kind of be uh, on your own for the first time? Uh, I felt excited to um, be on my own for the first time. You know, my aunt and uncle went off to look for houses in Memphis because he had this new job as a CEO of a cotton insurance company. And um, and I got to, to know some, you know, I, you know, one I painted you know, I got to know a few people. I'd paint murals. I'd paint portrait. I painted a portrait of Ebby Halliday, who was a very famous um, realtor. Now, you know, when 
then she was, I guess she was a realtor then, but she she wasn't as famous as she became. And then, um, and I'd make um, wall hangings and I'd teach embroidery to the ladies of Dallas. <laughs> That's so cool. And then um, I worked in, a, um, in one of the art galleries assisting in the frame shop and um and and that was great because i got to see you know some of the artists and other folk in that um murray smither who was ran that gallery for um the owner and um and then my well i became like girlfriend to the guy who was the framer and he went to New York, and so we got married in New York, and then I moved to New York. And that was like an astonishing change, because I had ex always envisioned New York as being pristine, you know, very clean, and there it was the grimiest at that time. I mean, I think it's cleaned up. I Eventually, I lived there about 20 eight years um, in that and <laughs> but it was it was a bit of a uh, that was a bit of a change but it was great you know it was right in the um so that was in 67 um you did some incredible things seven so and eventually I got a wonderful art gallery I, yeah. I was doing these big sculptures and things and um and it, it was, I love New York. I mean, it was, it was great. I mostly stayed in Manhattan. Of course, New York has five boroughs, but Manhattan is kind of hard. Mm -hmm. um, what was inspiring your art then? Well, it wasn't really anything. Um, it was more internal. It mm -hmm. was sort of... Um, You know, I was doing, I had kind of moved from doing this stitchery, the sewing, the wall hangings, and now they were becoming three-dimensional. Hmm. So they were becoming like these elephantine creatures. Um, uh, I'll show you, I have one, I have a picture here. Oh, great. You can see it, but. Oh, my goodness. See, it's, what is that made out of? This is made out of canvas. Um, like you'd make a painting, you know, a raw canvas, natural color of linen. And then I would make an inner structure and then sew it and then stuff it and draw on it with black ink to create the... So they're almost like elephant-like creatures. So Does I did have anything to do with being being from India? Um, I knocked out not here's another one. Love it. This one was is sort of like striding legs, and mm -hmm. some of these were um this one was exhibited in um in Geneva at a gal at a, at a, at a one of the museums there, they were having a show on soft sculpture. So in this period, soft sculpture was just 
kind of coming into, because nobody really had done soft sculpture before. This is another piece, wow. which is um, a small piece where the painting in the background, a little box, and then these mm. kind of a repetition of these forms painted on, anyway. Um, so I, interesting. Um, so, uh, and so I had that first show at, at a pretty well-known art gallery. Uh, I was very lucky, um, called Cordier and Ekstrom. And, um, and the, it, the, that show, I was interviewed by the New York Times. Um, I think I sent you a link to that. I was about to quote something from there, but go well, ahead. No, 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 I'm not going to quote anything, but I just was saying that they uh, happened to publish that article on my birthday, Aww. May 1st, <laughs> which was such a... And then I got some... Um, um, from that, I got uh, requests to do books. I mean, it's amazing. And so I did do a book. Um, on stuffed animals, on my how to make, because I had made a pig. Tell us about this pig. <laughs> my famous pig. Yes. Well, I had this, I had been working on a sculpture which had um, sort of like breast-like forms on it. And I was using um, um, snap fasteners for the nipples because they have a, like a little, nipple like and then I made these like fabric tubes stuffed tubes that would snap on kind of like snakes um I called it Cleopatra and um and um and, and that having worked on that I just had this vision when soaking in the tub one day of a pig a mother pig toy with baby piglets snapped on to the nipples, <laughs> and so I happened to have. I was so inspired. I I have I found some an old scrap of felt, red pink, red felt, and I made um. I made up. I made this pig with a mummy, mummy pig with her babies, and my um, husband Bart then had some contacts, and he took pig down to show them and they were so thrilled with my pig that they put me in touch with this guy who was looking for an idea. <clears throat> he was being, he was part of a government contract to create work in Appalachia. And this I'm now talking about um, the, I guess I did that in, it's kind of late 60s, 69 or so. And so um, I was sent um, down to um, McKee in Kentucky, and they had rustled up five women and rented a room and rented the little house in Jackson um, in McKee. And um, and I I <coughs> sorry I had meanwhile designed a collection of toys. But this trip, um, maybe about eight toys, other toys. And so I went down to teach 
these ladies how to, you know, I'd broken the, the process down into segments so they could be done in a production. Um, and so that's what happened. They started, and and then there was a, a, a wonderful woman called Jenny Hammonds. And she was to do the marketing and what we, and we would go around, they would make the toys. We would go around to the gift shows in LA, in Boston, Atlanta, um, and um, Dallas, and um, um, San Francisco, which was great fun, and, and man the booth, and the toys would be shown, and then they would be sold into the gift shops. And like Neiman Marcus bought a pig what boat. What a cool experience. And yeah, it was. It was like, because I really had no kind of, it taught me a lot about, you know, how you run a you know, business, a company. I didn't do any of that part of it. But it was funded by Jobstart, which had been started by Lyndon Johnson to create employment in Appalachia and where it was really, you know. And the women were like, I mean, they were really, the houses there sometimes were just made out of like Coca-Cola grates. Leslie Freeman, FaceTime video. That's my friend calling. Sorry, I'm doing my podcast. Oh, sorry. Goodbye. <laughs> she, she, and I, she and I are working on a book. She, oh, she writes. She's an author, and um, and I'm wow. I'm I'm kind of work with her on. We've been working on these books of hers, wonderful books. And that's, in, that's you're my, always you're still doing stuff. You're yeah, still inspired yeah. to do art. I, I had a show just in May earlier this year at the art gallery I have, I'm lucky enough to have in Dallas called Row 2 Art. And um, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I am, I'm very lucky because I, I do like still make art. Mm -hmm. And Will you tell everyone about how you got into stage design in New York, though? Oh, yes. That was another thing. <laughs> my, <laughs> I think this is really thing. this is really cool that they still use it. Yeah. I, oh, they do. It's it's just like I, you know, so, OK, I, I had this fine art gallery in New York and um, run by uh, an absolutely the most elegant man I've ever known called Arnie Ekstrom. He was a tall, slender Norwegian. And his wife, um, Carminia Miguel, was um, like a, a South American heiress. And, mm. and they lived in Paris. And uh, he, he, the art gallery was actually started in Paris. And, um, and anyway, so she was a historian of the ballet. And one day she invited me to tea at their house because she, you know, we got along well. And she introduced me to a, 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 a woman called Diana Bayer, who was the art, artistic director of a ballet company called New York Theatre Ballet. And it was a chamber company, which meant it wasn't, you know, they had like a small group of dancers, maybe 10, and uh, they would do... Um, 
small ballets, um, ballets that sometimes revivals of ballets that had been, um, and they recreated them, or and original work. And um, so I was, I was um, asked to paint a backdrop for a ballet um, to an Edgar Allan Poe poem. Um, and and I had never done that before, but I, it was it wasn't huge by backdrop standards, but it was still about thirty feet, maybe twenty feet or so by twelve feet, and um, it was of a, a harbor scene, and it was mm-hmm. uh, designed by uh, and Parmenio Miguel, my art dealer's wife had the original design for that ballet. And um, she had many um, original designs for Ballet Russe, um, a lot of very famous um, ballets and um, designs of facets, costumes, etc. And so th- that production, she had kind of instigated it in a way she had the original music Anyway, um, so that's what we started. So I, this ballet, um, I did that. And then they invited me to design an original set for their Cinderella. And so I, I did that. That's so cool. And that was, had consisted of moving parts. It would be, they, they also did a lot of touring. It's a company toured the United States. And so everything had to fit in a truck. So the dimensions of the truck were the first thing you had to know. You could build pieces that would break up and fit in. And anyway, so that was very successful. And Cinderella was a beautiful ballet. And and then the the director of another ballet company or member of the board saw that and then called me and invited me to do um, the designs for their next ballet, which was um, Romeo and Juliet. And so then I did that, and then I did a Macbeth, and then I did um, Nutcrackers for many Nutcrackers for different, and then and so on until in the end I did, did about 20 odd productions. Um, did you enjoy set design? Oh, yes. I love that. I really love that. It kind of make a model, you know, you make a model, mm-hmm. and then you um, and you know, and I, I and I found um, a, a couple. There were a couple of um, guys um, who had started. In fact, I went to the very first classes. They started a scenic painting course in in Jersey City which was in I was living in Hoboken then which is right across from Manhattan like one stop on the subway and um, so I went to there and I learned a lot about scenic painting how to paint you know on that scale and Mm -hmm. uh, that was great fun and and then doing the sets and sometimes I would even in fact the New York Theatre Ballet um did um, a set in um, 
uh, El Paso, no, not El Paso. Um, anyway, um, in Texas, um, and they, and it was in, like three new ballets that I did the sets for, and um, so I got to go t to the openings of those because it happened to be in Texas, and um, so cool. and, no, and I would go to the openings in New York, of course. And that was like another whole career. And then that that led to painting backdrops for photographers mm. and then doing more murals here in Dallas, mostly interior murals. I only ever did one <coughs> outside mural, um, you know, clip which got painted over the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. Oh God! It was, it was such an amazing coincidence because I just happened to be driving by with a couple of my artistic art friends, um, that, known as the Bryans, Brian Scott and Brian Jones, <laughs> and we were driving. It was on Seventh Avenue. There were they had like there were a number of murals that had painted there oh quite a while back, mostly to stop graffiti from being painted on these um, buildings <laughs> and I had done this wonderful like scene with like black and white a supposedly you know painted black and white not black and white uh, blue and white tile Portuguese tile style decoration and then on the garage door I had a gigantic bull and then some vaqueros on horseback on either side on the walls and, it was sort of in the Spanish style to kind of, because I thought a lot of the Hispanics in the neighborhood. And um, so when I got there, they were painting the whole building black. <laughs> painting up. Painting up. It's right. It had faded a lot, meanwhile, you know, in, in the sun over the years. But, <laughs> but you know, you, Haley knows, like, you know, it comes and goes. You have to kind of, um, once it's out of your hands, you know, you have to say, bye. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so with your art now, what is inspiring you these days? Like what, how has your art transformed into what you're doing now? Uh, well, sorry, I, I don't know. It kind of evolves. It always has a sort of similar feel to it. It's, I've always enjoyed using, I guess from when I was a kid, colored pencils. I know it sounds like a very like childish, but um, you see, I have like lots of colored pencils. But I I would I did a series that were my last well I okay, I I did a series of paintings several years ago. These were paintings of um the of the um Crepe myrtle trees, which are very, have very beautiful smooth trunks, mm -hmm. and they have very explicitly sexual um, parts to them, like uh, uh, the way uh, there might be, a, a, I mean, literally, you can see them, it looks like a breast with a, a nipple, um, or uh, if I can dare say the word, a cock, <laughs> or a um, a vagina or and limbs and so I was thinking I thought you know they always fascinated me these trees with their 
bark that's almost like skin and um, and these wonderful forms, which, you know, mostly the trunks, you know. And so I photographed a bunch of them, mostly in the fall after the leaves have dropped, so they were just sculptural forms. And um, I turned those paintings into a I mean, those photos into a series. I mean, I did a series of paintings from those photographs. Yeah. And um, there's, and I've always enjoyed things like the Greek myths. Well, there's a myth about a, a, a nymph called Daphne, who um, was a wood nymph, and she was um, spotted by Apollo, who was the sun god, who wanted to ravish her, and she didn't want to be ravished, so she pled to Zeus, the chief god, to save her, and he turned her into a tree. And so, um, and there are several, I mean, there are lots of classical paintings from the Renaissance of Daphne being turned into a tree. Sometimes she has leaves on the end of her fingers. And anyway, so these, I called these a series of paintings Finding Daphne, because mm. I was looking for the female form of, well, uh, and also I found some Apollos too um, in the form of these trees. And then, the, so the next series, I, I did a series that were more like um, caves, and um, I had been to the cav the caverns in um, in New Mexico. What, what are those caverns called? Uh, Carlsbad caverns. Yeah. Walk underground, and they have amazing stalactites. So anyway, so I, then I did a series. But this time I, instead of being flat, this time I used mostly crayon and black paper and I'd cut out parts so the, so the painting, they wouldn't be paintings, these works. They weren't, you know, they would be layered and it was, mm. and they had moons in them, like sometimes many moons. So they were like um, landscapes from um, planets, from another, um, part of the universe um, those sound to me yeah, like so very kind of poetic mysterious and then the next lot I did were a series called the storms of Jupiter because I'd seen some pictures of some of the NASA probes of Jupiter with these like like whirling storms and so then again I used cut out and, and this time they were more dimensional, and I'd twist the paper and, and and draw all over, you know, color it and make these pieces that were kind of um, abstract. But I had moon. I also had other planets in them sometimes, like like moons floating around, and uh, I really enjoyed doing those. So now I'm in the midst of wondering what I'm going to do next. <laughs> wondering and wondering. That's like, oh my goodness, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. I love that though, that you are still so just curious and inspired and you don't have all the answers, but you're excited for even the unknown. Uh-huh. I mean, and I would say that you've, and you said at the beginning that you've, you've loved your life to this point we um we talk a lot or we have an episode about success 
and that it isn't always defined correctly. Um, for people that think that you've had a successful life so far, how would you define success? And do you agree? Well, I, I mean, some people would define success totally in terms of how much money they make, you know, right. like massing billions or uh, um, good luck to them, you know, but I think, um, I, to me, I feel like it's almost a word I don't like, success, because mm-hmm. it, it sort of um, means that there's, well, there, you know, that the opposite is failing. Well, you know, I've been very fortunate in that my life has, has you know, not been, you know, I haven't had to flee and be a refugee or, um, you know, one has to be terribly grateful to be sort of a middle class <laughs> living in the West and not like facing such tremendous odds of just mere survival that you can't be ex- having a, a life that allows you to express. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, one, you know, one can't help but just be like immensely grateful for that. And that, I mean, I just love the older, actually, the older I get, the happier I get, I've found. Mm. I found that, you know, it, life was much more stressful for me earlier when I was thinking I should be this or I should be that, you know, mm. like, uh, mm. um, and of course, uh, but, you know, once all those sort of worries about love and um, marriage and, uh, you know, all the pressure that sometimes that can be put on one, you know, from the fam- family, <laughs> you know, Oh, you're thirty. You're, you know, you you're made to feel like an old maid. You know, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not married, right up old spinster. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, once all that's out of the way, you know, you can just relax. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and of course, it's 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 just so wonderful to so to speak consume art that other people have created, you know, like, I mean, visual arts, music, mm. um, theater, ballet, um, reading books, watching, I mean, humans are just, and to me, it's all comes down to play. Basically, it's, I think that that sparks in children, and I think if you if people can give children as much opportunity to try different things and have different experiences and go, you know, on adventures, show them, you know, go on trips to see. I mean, I remember going down a coal mine. We were taken down a coal mine in Wales, you know. And that was, like, astonishing to me because... I'd never, and they'd switch out, you know, you had headlamps, they'd switch out the lights and there was blackness and literally, you know, you say, oh, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. The the, the, the darkness was like a, a, 
almost like a palpable thing, and you literally could not, you could not see anything in front of your face. And it was like, and going down in that so fast that when it slowed up, you thought you were going up again. Because oh slowing up gave you the sensation of rising. It was, it was like quite a, an experience. Um, wow. And so I think, it, you know, I think childhood is very important, obviously. And I think if lucky children get to experience a lot and are able to play and, and find out what it is their passions are. And some never have that chance. Mm, yeah. But I mean, I think, I, I personally, I think, like as a, a community, as a, a country, we should be like spending our money on the children, mm. educating, giving them experiences. Um, I love how open you are to the world around you. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Well, I'm lucky to be alive and experiencing it. Mm. Life is precious. Yes. I mean, we're so glad we it is. We're so glad our paths cross too, because you're an inspiration, just the way you live your life. Not not necessarily the accomplishments you've made in your life, even though they're astounding, but your perspective is very beautiful. And um, that's why we wanted to have you on the pod- podcast. Well, I appreciate it. I really loved it. And I loved meeting you two, who <laughs> I consider like astonishingly accomplished women. Um, just like, wow. That's very so, kind. So, so <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. I hope we stay in touch. We will. Of course we will. And we're going to share all kinds of things about you on the internet. (laughs) So get ready. (laughs) Thank you, Jillian. Yeah, thanks for making time for us today. Lovely. I love her. I love her too. And it makes me want to... um, keep just being playful and open and exploring stuff and kind of taking that pressure off that we've talked about in other episodes too. She's doing it. Yeah. So we hope you really loved her. You can, you can find her work today. She is in a gallery even today. She's in a gallery here in Dallas called row two, but there is a huge, um, online art website called artsy. So if you get on artsy and search her Jillian Bradshaw Smith, which will include all the information, you can also find her and her work there. So we really hope this was a great episode for you. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at dearfriend.podcast so that you can see the content we share about her this week. And also, if you're watching us on YouTube, hi, thank you. Please, please give us this video a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. So thank you guys for tuning in. Hope this conversation sends you out with your new aligned mission and energy. Until next time. Live purdy. Live purdy.